Hello and welcome to this edition of JPD Weekly. I'm sure many of you have heard rumors of a, a an original Hebrew copy of the Gospel of Matthew. Are there any legitimate, uh, is there any legitimacy to this claim? We're going to look into the actual history of this and see uh, if it's plausible to even consider something called a, a, uh, a Hebrew um, written gospel of Matthew. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later. We're going to talk about this recent call to normalize the Temple Mount, which could, you know, possibly result in uh, the building of the Third Temple, which we know from prophecy. So is there, uh, is this a literal Third Temple? Is there something more to it? Uh, we'll talk about that. And then also, we're going to close out today's uh, episode with a Dead Sea Scroll that is literally called Mysteries, and the mysteries that this has to reveal is so uplifting, so phenomenal, uh, that I can't wait to share it with you. So, let's get started. The main reason you clicked on this video is the Hebrew translation or the, the, the original Hebrew manuscript of the Gospel of Matthew. Is there any legitimacy to this claim? Now, right now, I'll just say right off the bat, and then we're going to get into some history, but right now, and, and even people that promote this idea of uh, the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew will will admit this, that right now there's no surviving copies of a uh, Hebrew Gospel of Matthew from the first century that we know of. So the idea goes that the Gospel of Matthew was originally written in Hebrew and then later translated to Greek, uh, and then the version that we have in our Bibles is a Greek translation of the original Hebrew. That's kind of what's flo floating around. Um, and so there, there are those claims that, that the oldest surviving Hebrew version of Matthew is actually copied, um, or, or the oldest sur surviving Greek version of Matthew is actually copied from an original Hebrew one. But let's look at that claim, see if there's anything legitimate here. So, um, on August 15th, 1996, the Watchtower, <laughs> so you know we're heading into some uh, really legitimate uh, territory if we, if we start off our study like that. Uh, the Watchtower introduced a book. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Watchtower, that's like the Jehovah's Witness, uh, you know, Grand Central. Uh, the, the Watchtower introduced a book by George Howard, um, called The Gospel of Matthew According to a Primitive Hebrew Text. Now, it originally comes from a uh, a part of a 14th century work, uh, and that is called uh, Ibn Bohan, or The Touchstone, uh, by a Spanish-Jewish rabbi named uh, Rabbi Shem Tov, or Shem Tov ben Isaac ben Shaprut. So uh, we'll call him, uh, and a lot of people just refer to, to him shorthand as Shem Tob. So we'll call him Shem Tob. Um, this Hebrew version has the appearance of uh, the Hebrew word Hashem, meaning the name in 20 places where the Gospel of Matthew just says the Lord. So that's one of the things that sets this manuscript uh, apart. And so the, the, the history behind it is, um, in the 14th century, this Spanish rabbi, uh, Ben, or, uh, Shem Tob put together this, this large work 
or larger work called the touchstone. And then a part of that work, a part of that work is the, is his, it's his, it's really his translation of the gospel of Matthew into Hebrew. But George Howard claimed that uh, Shem Tob was actually deriving that or, 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 or was getting his text from an earlier, from an earlier text. But we have to remember, so George Howard was in 1996. Shem Tob was in the 14th century, so separated by centuries. Um, and there's no, there's no existing evidence, or at least no legitimate existing evidence, to suggest that Shem Tob was actually working from uh, a, a more ancient or, or from like a first century Hebrew text or something like that. Uh, and, and actually, that... That word Hashem is is really telling that this was later, that this would have been a later manuscript. So typically, when people refer to uh, the 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 original Hebrew version of the Gospel of Matthew, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about this manuscript from uh, Shem Tob, and, and they're talking about the idea that Shem Tob got his manuscript from an earlier one. Uh, so we're going to show why there's really no reason to to believe that. Now, um, Jewish Virtual Library, uh, under the the heading "Pronouncing the Name of God," says this. So here's some history. Um, and again, this is from Jewish Virtual Library. It says, "Quote: Nothing in the Torah prohibits a person from p- pronouncing the name of God. Indeed, it is evident from Scripture that God's name was pronounced routinely. Many common Hebrew names contain Yah or Yahu as part of God's four-letter name. The name was pronounced as part of daily services in the temple. So I'm going to pause there. So that's why you know some people wonder why do Jewish people today say how." Hashem, which means the name, why do they say that instead of God's name, instead of saying Yahweh or Yahuwah or, or something like that? Um, and that that was actually a later a later thing. So the fact that uh, this version of the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew, um, since it has Hashem all over it, and as you'll see in a moment, we can actually show that that is a later thing that happened. It shows that this translation is much later than the first century, because when when we read uh, scripture in our Bible, there's clearly no problem uh, using God's name or saying saying the Lord or, or saying um, you know Adonai or something like that. Um, so continuing on from pronouncing the name of God found at Jewish Virtual Library, quote, the Mishnah confirms that there was no prohibition against pronouncing the name in ancient times. In fact, the Mishnah recommends using God's name as a routine greeting to a fellow Jew from Barakot 9.5. However, by the time of the Talmud, so this this would have been, uh, anywhere between the fourth and, and fifth century A.D., so so you know, qu- quite a ways away from the first century, uh, by hundreds of years, almost half a century. By the time of the Talmud, it was custom to use uh, substitute names for God. Some rabbis asserted that a person who pronounces Yahweh according to its letters instead of using a substitute has no place in the world to come and should be put to death. 
instead of pronouncing the four-letter name, we usually substitute the name Adonai or simply say Hashem, uh, what it means is the name. Oh, and continuing on, uh, quote, although the prohibition on pronunciation applies only to the four-letter name, Jews customarily do not pronounce any of God's many names except in prayer or study. The usual practice is to substitute letters or syllables so that Adonai becomes Adashem or Hashem, uh, Eloyahnu and Elohim become Elokeinu uh, and Elohim, etc., with the temple destroyed and the prohibition on pronouncing the name outside of the temple, pronunciations of the name fell into disuse. So it wasn't until, uh, end quote, so it wasn't until after the temple was destroyed, and because of that specifically, that the, the pronunciation of God's name fell into disuse. So it was much after. So, you know, a lot of times people want to believe in the Hebrew uh, Gospel of Matthew because they they want to believe that there's this early manuscript that's like right from the time of Christ or close to it and that would add legitimacy to the bible but but we have to remember that a lot of the times re, the reason that people are are blinded to the legitimacy of the gospel is because they're choosing to be so even if that were true it wouldn't be enough to convince those who uh simply don't want to be convinced so um but but what we don't want to do is we don't want to spread something that's false and then thereby give them an excuse because if we if we if the hebrew translation or if the he, if the original hebrew um gospel of matthew if that whole idea is false and then if we go around and say that it's true and it, it's it's legitimate we have just and if it's not then we've just given people an excuse to be non-believers because they can, they can use that as their excuse. Well, we can't trust anything you Christians say because you believe in this Hebrew. So, you know, we don't want to give them an excuse, but we also want to remember that, um, we don't want to make anything more legitimate than what it was, than what it is, because that's not going to really help anybody. Um, so the reason that this is important is it helps us date uh, this specific text, the, 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 the Hebrew gospel of, of Matthew that a lot of people refer to, um, as it had to have been uh, like definitely after the destruction of the temple. It would have had to have been that, but most likely around the time of the Talmud, fourth or fifth century at the earliest. But there's reasons to believe that it's not even that early. This probably was, um, this probably was much later than that. So, uh, but at the earliest, it, it, what, what Shem Tob has is from his time period, so from 14th century. But even the idea that he was working from an earlier manuscript, that earlier manuscript was either corrupted, which we'll get into why in a minute, or that earlier manuscript is at earliest from 4th or 5th century because of all the Hashem stuff. Uh, so it's, it's one or the other and we'll, we'll get into why in a moment, but we have to, we have to know who this, uh, Shem Tob guy was and what the reason for his book, uh, the touchstone, what the reason for this was now Shem Tob was no Christian. Uh, so his book, the touchstone, 
uh, where the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew was found, was a polemical work against Christianity and was written in order to try and convince Jews against converting and getting baptized. So this book contains the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew, uh, and George Howard and others said it probably came from an earlier source. But remember, we're talking about the 14th century for Shem Tob and the late 20th century for George Howard. So these are centuries after the time of Christ. Um, and again, that work was a polemic, and what a polemic is, it, we'll get into it like a little bit more, but it's basically like like a, a, a mockery or, or a sarcastic thing about uh, some opposing view. So in this case, it would be uh, the, the polemic would be against, you know, convert a, a Jewish person converting and getting baptized, which, of course, we as Christians, we want to see uh, everybody um, convert to Christianity and, and get baptized. Uh, now, the, at the time, of course, there was also, you know, conversion to Catholicism and there's a lot of versions of Catholicism that's not Christian at all. Some are a little bit more closely. And then even back then, uh, Catholicism was different than it looks today. And so that, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. Uh, that, that would be a whole other episode, but just, just keep in mind that this book, The Touchstone, was written by somebody who had an axe to grind against Christianity, who did not want to see Jewish people converting, uh, and this was used as a, a polemic. So that's the motivation of the the guy who, who put this together. And then remember that George Howard's publishing of it or or or, or, or uh you know translation or, or whatever george howard's book of this hebrew gospel of matthew was uh promoted by the watchtower so jehovah's witnesses really like it that should that that should give us reason to be suspicious um now in 1987 uh there were because some might ask well aren't there other translations you know is everybody promoting the idea of the hebrew gospel of matthew are they all talking about this one or are there others uh, so there are others in 1987 there were two other hebrew translations of matthew published in spanish and italian um, and these also were used by italian and spanish jews to fight against attempts of jews converting so again there was there was uh, uh not not really good reasons for using this as well um, so these two manuscripts were originally from the 1500s. Uh, they have no apparent connection to Shem Tob. The Spanish one was uh, heavily edited by the cartographer Sebastian Munster, so it wasn't preserved at all. Uh, and, and again, it's from the 1500s, so you know there, there's no reason to to think that this was from the first century. But even even it being not from the first century, it it still even was heavily edited by the t cartographer, and uh and that one has since been lost. So the Spanish one has since been lost, and the Italian one um, has the same issues with replacing God's name as uh, Shem Tobes, uh, showing uh, again a much later original date, and most likely is not from any ancient source. Uh, now there are two more. One from the year 1750 by Rabbi Rehab Ezekiel, but uh, this too is a polemical trans translation, meaning it takes theological jabs like Shem Tob. And then there's uh, one more from 1869, so very, very contemporary in you know when we think of a 2,000 year span. Now back to the idea of what a polemic 
is. Um, like I said before, it's a statement or a teaching that's meant to be uh, a kind of sarcastic comment about a differing belief. So, for example, we do see some of these in the Bible um, against pagan beliefs um, and in support of biblical teaching. So we do see that kind of stuff. Excuse me. However, in the touchstone, Shem Tob says Jesus isn't God and says that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. So according to biblical standards, this is literally Antichrist in nature. Uh, Shem Tob, his teachings and his book, The Touchstone, which this Hebrew version of Matthew is found in. Um, now, adding to the suspicious nature of the work, uh, Shem Tob's version has Hashem even in chapter 22, verse 32. Uh, of Matthew, which says, uh, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Ra okay, so that's the quote. Now, rather than having that, that comes from the Old Testament, that comes from Exodus 3 6. So rather than having an exact Old Testament quotation from Exodus 3 6, as we would expect, where Elohim is used, um, not Yahweh, uh, where the corresponding Old Testament phrase has Elohim, not Yahweh, it, but but in, in Shem Tob's work, he has Hashem. So even though Elohim should have been fine, it definitely was fine to early Jews, and it should have even been fine leading up to, you know, again, uh, well, right around uh, Shem Tob's time, uh, even even there, he was he was really really careful to still put Hashem instead of which Elohim would have should have been fine to use, at least at least um, at least since the time of the the fourth or fifth century. So that's even further proof that this is uh, hundreds of years at the earliest, hundreds of years removed from the time of Jesus, but most likely is um, not very far off from uh, Shem Tob's time. Uh, so even using Hashem here would have been more of a, a more modern way of writing it in Shem Tob's time rather than the first, first century Hebrew. Um, so this shows us, even if he was working from an earlier source, which he very well could have been, and he could have been he could have been translating his own or something, but but that earlier source would have been lost to has since been lost to us. It's gone because Shem Tob's version of the the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew it is the earliest copy of Matthew that we have in Hebrew. It's the earliest one. So even if Shem Tob was working from a uh, an earlier source. It, it, that source has been lost to us, and it would mean that Shem Tob took his own personal liberties with the text. He did not translate it faithfully. Uh, he didn't copy it faithfully. And he clearly had an axe to grind against Christianity in his work. So that shows, even if all of that was true about uh, Shem Tob's work, it shows that what we have available today is heavily corrupted. So that plus the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, Watchtower endorsement, that should cause us to not trust this text at all and reject it fully. We should not be, um, you know, saying or going around or acting like this is a legitimate Hebrew version of the Gospel of Matthew. 
Um, it's in, in short, it's really messed up. Now, even in earlier rabbinical citations of Matthew, because someone might wonder, well, what about like citations? Can we have citations that we could piece together into an original Hebrew thing? But even in earlier rabbinical citations of Matthew, they don't go earlier than the seventh century. And again, we're talking about rabbinical citations. Um, they don't go earlier than the seven, because obviously we do have uh, a lot of quotations from the Greek, uh, but from rabbinical citations of Matthew, they don't go earlier than the seventh century, and none of them are quoted from a supposed Hebrew text of Matthew. So, uh, for example, we do have um, Sefer Nestor HaKomer, or the book of Nestor the priest from the seventh century, that contains significant quotes from Matthew, but it's apparently from a Latin text. So that's seventh century. Uh, Toledot Yeshu, uh, Life of Jesus, again, 7th century. Uh, Milhamoth Hashem, Wars of the Lord, from Jacob ben Rubin, that's 12th century. Uh, Sefer Nizahan Yashan, Book of Victory, or in Latin, Nizahan Vetus, and that's originating in Germany in the 13th century. Sefer Joseph Hamakain, Book of Joseph the Official of Rabbi Joseph Ben Nathan, 13th century. So even uh, um, Jean Carmignac, uh, Paris, 1969, identified 50 Hebrew translations of the Lord's Prayer from the 9th to the 18th centuries. So even just, just that, the Lord's Prayer, even that, just from the 9th to the 18th century. Now there's 50 of them, but in that time period. Um, most scholars consider that the medieval Hebrew manuscripts are derived by translation from medieval Greek or Latin manuscripts. So it's extremely unlikely that any of the unique readings found in these medieval Hebrew manuscripts could be ancient. Now, adding to that, there are, uh, there are, there are some more things that we can pull out from some Bible commentaries that get a little bit more into the actual text uh, and in, in, into a little bit of the history, but, but really into um, the, the, the style of the text, you know, the way that it's written and things like that. So from the Wycliffe uh, Bible commentary, Matthew Pfeiffer C.F. Uh, said, quote, composition and date. The great frequency of citations and allusions to Matthew found in the Didache, Epistle of Barnabas, Ignatius, excuse me, Justin Martyr, and others attests its early composition and widespread use. So that's the Greek. So we're talking about the Greek there. The literar, uh, literary connections of this gospel must be considered in its relations to the other synoptics and also to the statements of Papias that, quote, Matthew wrote the words in the Hebrew dialect and each one interpreted as he could, end quote, Eusebius Ecclesiastical History 339. Um, so just real quick, I'm going to break right, right there, end quote, just real quick. Uh, there's this idea that, well, Papias said, and some 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 of the ancients said that Ma Matthew wrote in the Hebrew dialect, and so this kind of a legend was born from that that the original Gospel of Matthew is in Hebrew, but that's not exactly what's being said, and and these commentaries are going to comment on that. So, like he said, he um, going back. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to reread that one part again because it's really important. So, quote, the literary connections of this gospel 
uh, must be considered in its relations to the other synoptics, and also the statement of Papias that, quote, Matthew wrote the words in the Hebrew dialect and each one interpreted as he could, end quote. Um, many have, and th- this is going on with the commentary, many have explained Papias's statement as referring to an Aramaic original, which our Greek gospel is a translation. Now, that's something else, too. Some will say that it wasn't Hebrew, but it was Aramaic. The original Matthew was in Aramaic, not Hebrew. So, And I think that you know that's said because of this stuff with uh, Shem Tob and the Watchtower and all that. So they'll say that it's Aramaic. So, uh, so could that could that be? Could it have come from an Aramaic? Well, this this uh, commentary continues on. Quote: Yet our Greek text does not bear the marks of a translation, and the absence of any trace of an Aramaic original casts grave doubts upon this hypothesis. So, in the way that the Greek text is written in the Gospel of Matthew, there there's no evidence that this is a translation rather than um, you, you know a, a copy from an original. Because you can have an original and then you know write a bunch of copies, and all all of those marks still would be preserved. But um, and then when they do translation work, there are other marks to to look for. But this does not bear the marks of a translation. So the idea that the original Gospel of Mark was in Aramaic or Hebrew or, you know, whatever, some other language other than Greek, and then was translated to Greek, and then that's what we have in our Bible, um, well, there, there's no evidence of that in the text itself, like in the way that it was written and transcribed. There's no, there's no evidence of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, people who study this stuff would, would be able to tell evidence presents itself when it's a translation and that doesn't exist in this. So the evidence points to it being originally written in Greek. Um, continuing with this Bible commentary, it says, uh, quote, Goodspeed argues at length that it would be contrary to Greek practice to name a Greek translation after the author of an Aramaic original. For Greeks were concerned only with the one who put a work into Greek. As examples, he cites the Gospel of Mark, it was not called the Gospel of Peter, and the Greek Old Testament, which was called the Septuagint 70, after its translators, not after its Hebrew authors. Uh, And that comes from E.J. Goodspeed, Matthew Apostle and Evangelist, page 105-106. So that's saying, uh, according to Greek custom, when a Greek translation is done, they name the work after the translator, not after the original. So we don't see that in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, So since we don't see that, that lends evidence that this is not a Greek translation, but it was written originally in Greek. Um, Okay, so continuing on, quote, Thus, Papias is understood to mean that Matthew recorded possibly by shorthand, uh, the discourses of Jesus in Aramaic and later drew upon these when he composed his Greek gospel. Though it is surely possible that Mark was written first and may have been available to Matthew, there was no slavish use of this shorter gospel by Matthew. And many have argued for the complete independence of the two books. Okay, so there's an idea that Matthew might have had um, a short kind of collection of some of Jesus's sayings 
in Hebrew and and he used he used those when um writing in Greek when writing the Greek gospel of Matthew but that original shorter text is lost that's gone but everything that would be in there is in the Greek. It's already in the Greek. So no, there would be nothing new. It would basically be like a short list of some of Jesus' sayings. But all of those would have been included in the Greek manuscript that we have today. And again, by the same author. So nothing's getting lost in translation. It's it's literally the same guy doing it. Um, but even that, even that shorter list, we, we don't know for sure about... Even if that is true, that's gone. It's not like a Hebrew gospel where you're going to read the two and there's going to be some kind of conflict because, again, it's the same author uh, writing both. So it was just kind of like, you know, he's just, it's, it's kind of like if you, uh, um, if you know you're going to write a book and then you outline and you, you, you write something to start off with, like a smaller thing, and, and you know everything in your outline is going to go in your book, then you write the real book. Well, you don't need the outline. The, the outline provides no extra value to the book itself because you have the book. So it, it's kind of like that. Um, and being that, again, it's the same author, there wouldn't have been anything lost in translation. So it's not like he's he's translating these words. I mean, he is translating these words from, from Hebrew into Greek, but he he's the one that's already writing the original Hebrew text if it exists. So... It would it would be the exact same. It would it there wouldn't be anything new for us to discover is what I'm getting at. Um, let's look at a couple more commentaries so you don't think because I don't want you to think that it's just that one. This is actually a pretty widespread, uh, commonly held um, belief that there, there's no there, there's there's no reason to expect a Hebrew. Gospel of Matthew that one exists today and two would really have anything to teach us or, or anything to add to what we already have. Um, and believe me, it would be really cool if something like that was discovered. I'd be first in line to want to read it like that. That would be exciting. I, I would actually want that to be true. But uh, we, we do have to just deal in the truth. And unfortunately, there's no reason to believe that it is true. Um, there's uh, the Bible knowledge commentary from Walver J JF, the uh, in the section, uh, the original language of the first gospel. So it, it says, quote, while all the extant manuscripts of the first gospel are in Greek, some suggest that Matthew wrote his gospel in Aramaic, similar to Hebrew. Five individuals stated, in effect, that Matthew wrote in Aramaic and that translations followed in Greek. Papias, uh, A.D., 80 to 155, Irenaeus, AD 130 to 202, Origen, AD 185 to 254, Eusebius, 4th century AD, and Jerome, 6th century AD. Cause this is, end quote, cause this is what a lot of people will point to. Well, th this, this helps explain what's going on here. Quote, However, they may have been referring to a writing by Matthew other than his gospel account. Papias, for example, said Matthew compiled the sayings, logia, of uh, Jesus. Those sayings might have been a second shorter account of the Lord's words written in Aramaic and sent to a group of Jews for whom it would have been most meaningful. That writing was later lost, no, for no such version exists today. 
The first gospel, however, was probably penned by Matthew in Greek and has survived until today. Matthew's logia did not survive, but his gospel did. This was because the latter uh, part of the biblical canon and thus God's word was inspired and preserved by the word of God. So that's something that we have to keep in mind, too. God, if there if there was an original Hebrew manuscript at all, God could have preserved that. There was no, you know, no nothing saying that He can't. So why didn't He? Why wasn't it preserved? So we got we got to keep that in mind. I, I got a little bit more on that later. Um, now, uh, in this commentary, Matthew J. W. McGarvey on page eight, under the section the language says, um, quote. There has been much difference of opinion among scholars as to whether Matthew originally wrote his narrative in Greek or in the Hebrew dialect of his age. The most satisfactory statement of the evidence pro and on accessible to the general reader may be found in Smith's Bible Dictionary, uh, Art Matthew Gospel, or The Essential Facts. Uh, yeah, okay, so th- this is a quote from from the Smith's Bible Dictionary, quote, um, The essential facts in the case are the following. All of the ancient writers whose extant writings allude to the question represent Matthew as having written a narrative in Hebrew, but not one of them claims to have seen it except Jerome. And and again, this would have been like 6th century, I think. So hundreds of years later, none of them, none of the the people that we looked at earlier, these these ancient uh, like church fathers and things that that claimed that Matthew wrote, none of them claimed to have have actually seen it, except Jerome, and Jerome subsequently expresses doubt as to whether the book which he saw under this name was the genuine Matthew. So the only one that you could say that said that he saw it was Jerome, but Jerome expressed doubt that it was legitimate. He, he didn't think he, he, he expressed doubt that it was that it may not have been the genuine Matthew. If a genuine Hebrew narrative at any time existed, it perished with the age which gave it birth. All of the writers just named were familiar with the Greek Matthew and none of them speak of it as a translation so that's the other that's the other thing we have to keep in mind. All of those church fathers that talked about um the 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 about Matthew writing in Hebrew or Aramaic, none of them all of them would have been familiar with the Greek that we have today that we have in our Bibles. All of them would have been familiar with that. Not not a single one of them claimed that that was a translation that the Greek was actually a translation from Hebrew. No one said that. Um, so that's really important, too. So if we're going to go based on what the church fathers say, then, then we have to take all of it. Uh, a large majority of the modern writers regard the Greek as the original, and it has a singular confirmation of the correctness of this opinion that Alfred, who, in the first edition of his commentary, took ground in favor of a Hebrew original, in the later editions acknowledges that he has been constrained to abandon that position. Um, so that's important too. So, you know, if, if anybody ever quotes uh, Alfred as a source, you got to look into his uh, later work because uh, he, he originally abandoned that, that, or he eventually abandoned that position. But okay, so you have all these church church fathers and not one of them says that the greek was a translation. So all of this stuff 
I've laid out several reasons, you know, why uh, on how to think about this this idea of uh, Hebrew version of the Gospel of Matthew. That all of this shows us, as of right now, as of today, the overwhelming evidence shows uh, there is no existing original he- Hebrew manuscript of the Gospel of Matthew. It's likely that one never existed. Uh, that it was originally written in Greek. So what we have in our Bibles is not a Greek translation, but it's a Greek original. Uh, and e- or, or at least, you know, I mean, obviously it's an English translation of the original Greek, and even the earliest uh, Greek manuscripts that we have, you know, things are copied, but they're copied faithfully. So even if a Hebrew one did exist at some time, the only evidence that we have says that it would have been a short list of Jesus' sayings, which which were included in the Greek manuscript anyway, so we're not losing out on anything there. Um, and that's if it existed at all. But even that, if any version of this ever did exist, even if a Hebrew uh, one ever did exist... Um, it's been lost for nearly 2,000 years, and it's not the version in our Bibles, meaning God did not preserve it. He preserved the Greek one. So even if a Hebrew one was ever found, even even if, even if I'm totally, like, even if all of the evidence is totally wrong and somebody does find a Hebrew version of the Gospel of Matthew from the first century, even if they can prove that it was written by Matthew himself, even if all of that, that one was not um, added to the canon, that one was not inspired. It was. It wasn't preserved. Uh, so if there was, if there was something there that God wanted in the Bible, it would be in the Bible. So what it would mean, it would be interesting. But even if a Hebrew gospel of Matthew was ever found, and you could date it to the first century, uh, we could never elevate it higher than the Greek gospel of Matthew we have today, because that's the one that God decided to preserve. That's the one that we know is inspired. That's the one that, that's in our Bibles. So we we could not even hold it to the same high standard as the Greek one. We wouldn't even be able to hold it to that same level uh, as inspired text. So at best... We'd have to consider it the way that we might consider uh, Enoch or Jubilees or the non-canonical uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, the, you know, the non-canonical ones. We would have to consider them at, at best like that as not inspired scripture. Now, it doesn't mean that a discovery like that wouldn't be fascinating. Of course, it certainly would be. It'd be fascinating. Um, there'd be a, a lot of important history we could learn from it, but we're not going to learn something that totally changes what we know about Jesus, his life and death, the source of our salvation. There's not going to be anything extra for us to learn in there. And if there was, we would have to question its legitimacy uh, because why wasn't it preserved? You know, why, why, if, if we found a Hebrew gospel of Matthew, that was just totally different than the Greek one then maybe there is a reason that God didn't preserve it. Maybe there's a reason that it's not in our Bible. Maybe maybe there's something wrong with it, right? So for all of those reasons, plus all of the evidence that we looked at today, for all those reasons that we looked at today, uh, the, current, uh, the current Hebrew manuscripts that are floating around online right now, 
that some will claim are the original, those should be disregarded. We should politely share this information with our brothers and sisters who might be believing this stuff. You know, this this doesn't give us license to be jerks. If you have a brother or sister in the Lord that, that reads and believes in the Hebrew uh, Gospel of Matthew, then share this video with them all in, in all love and kindness and politeness, because chances are they probably don't know this history. Because what happens a lot these days is we read something exciting, online uh and we we buy into it i remember the first time that i heard of this was years ago about five five six years ago maybe maybe a little longer it might have been like six or seven years ago but i i heard about it from somebody who's on the hebrew root side um nobody that i associate with now because this the Bible tells us not to associate with certain people, and this person fell in, into one of those categories. I'll just leave it at that. But um, but when I first heard it, I was excited, and I thought, man, that's probably true. That sounds like I want that to be true. That's true, you know. And I and I believe I I on the, on a surface level, I believed it. I didn't go research it. I didn't read it. Um, I, I was I was kind of in uh, Nephilim land at the time. You know, I was kind of obsessed with uh, Nephilim and giant stuff. So I wasn't really looking into you know Hebrew manuscripts of the Gospel of Matthew. But it was something that it took very little convincing for me to believe it. You know, and again, this was years ago before I was I was really in public ministry the way I am now. Um, and I've learned a lot since then, but I remember what it's like to be in that mind frame. You know, usually, it's you're you're learning a lot of new things, and it's so exciting, and you want you, you just you just assume these things are true because why would your brothers and sisters in Christ lie to you? A lot of it, they're not lying. They just they they don't know that it's illegitimate. They don't know that uh, it's it's wrong. That there's something wrong here. You know, they don't know the true history behind it because this stuff just gets gets pushed and it's hard for it's hard to check into it. The other thing too is when it does get checked into, the people who are already on board with it and already like it and already believe it, typically they get mean and nasty. You know, not all of them. So, sometimes you'll get you know some good people that'll say, oh, I didn't know. Okay, well. Now I know, and I'm going to correct my beliefs here, and and we're not gonna we're not gonna treat this as scripture anymore. Um, but the ones who have already treated it as scripture, a lot of them, they're going to hold to it no matter what. They're going to say that I'm lying, or I'm not looking into the history right, or I'm missing something. Um, and and they're going to say that because if if they accept what I'm saying, it means that they have. I mean, literally been reading a false gospel. I mean, I mean, it's it's literally a false gospel, right? It would have to be. Uh, and that's that's a really hard thing for a Christian to admit. But again, if I'm if I'm right, if if this if this history of this, if if all of this evidence is true, then look, honest mistake, just repent of it. It's not it's not it doesn't have to be that big of a deal, you, you know, and just go back to the Greek manuscript that we have in the Bible and and learn from that. So it, it doesn't have to be this big thing. I mean, it's just that you didn't know. Just like when I when I first thought it was real, I didn't know either. So that you know, that's okay. As long as as long as you don't continue in that, if you if you just just say, okay, well, now I know, now I know better. I'm not going to promote it. Uh, I'm going to just read the one that's in, in our Bibles, uh, stick with that. Then there's no problem. 
you know, there's nothing to feel bad about. You don't have to feel stupid or, you know, you don't have to feel any of that stuff. Just repent of it and say, you know, Lord, I'm sorry. Thank you for showing me the truth. And, and you know, because I, cause whatever, whatever God's word is, whatever it is, that should be the thing that we want to stick with. You know, that should be our highest priority. Like, I, I really wanted the Hebrew um, uh, gospel of Matthew. I wanted that to be true. I really did, because that would just be exciting and it would be interesting. And I don't, I don't want to be wrong about something like that. Um, I now, granted, I haven't really thought about it in a few years, but still, I don't. I, I know, I remember accepting it just as gospel truth when I first heard it, and I just accepted it. You know, I, I don't want to have done that, but. I definitely don't want to do that in the future. So in order to correct that behavior, I need to admit what I did wrong. And I need to, you know, I, I need to repent of that. And I need to go where the truth is, where, where the evidence is. Um, so as far as all of the available evidence shows, uh, the, the, the idea of a Hebrew gospel of Matthew is a fantasy. It's a legend. Um, there's no real re and especially any manuscripts that's floating around now, there's no reason to think any of those are real or legitimate. Um, so, so we just need to accept it for what it is. So we ourselves should not have anything to do with this again, given the anti-Christian source, because again, we looked at all, I mean, literally spirit of antichrist stuff, you know, denying that. Jesus is Messiah. And I'm not, I'm not saying that the Hebrew um, gospel of Matthew does that, but the book that it was originally contained in from the original author, Shem Tob, from him, uh, that's an anti, anti-Christian source. It's an anti-Christ source. And then especially the cultic endorsement of the Watchtower and Jehovah's Witnesses, who uh, they mainly like it because it replaces the name of God like they do. You know, they say Jehovah, and, and so this is Hashem. They mainly like it because it replaces the name of, of God, and, and they do that instead of for any kind of legitimate historical reason or any uh, legitimate theological reason, instead of for any reasons like that. They just like it because it falls in line with their theology that they've made up, uh, that they've invented, and they're con they're continually um, editing. You know, they're continually uh, changing around and stuff. So that kind of stuff should um, make us realize that this is not something uh, we we should have anything to do with, except to you know, debunk it and actually show the correct history of it. So the question is the, is, is the Hebrew gospel of Matthew legitimate answer? I think not. No, um, I don't see any reason to believe that it's legitimate. All the evidence points away from it being legitimate. Okay. Now, uh, speaking of strange doctrines, uh, we're going to see all kinds of heresies in these last days, which I firmly believe that we're in and we're going to see uh, prophecy heating up. There are calls right now to normalize the Temple Mount so a third temple can be built. What does that mean? Uh, are we on our way towards a literal fulfillment of that prophecy, the third temple, or uh, is there maybe another way to look at it? Um, also, what is this Dead Sea Scroll uh, called 
One uh, Q uh, Mysteries. It's, the scroll is literally called Mysteries from the Essenes, from the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I'm telling you, it's encouraging and uplifting, and I, I really want to read it to you. Uh, so we're going to talk about all of that and much more in the members-only section. If you're viewing this on YouTube and don't yet have a membership, head on over to dailyrenegade.com and get a membership now so you can watch the rest of this episode and everything else that we have available, which is uh, quite a bit. we got quite a bit available. Also, it's really important that you do this because this stuff is not going to be on, uh, available on YouTube for much longer. We, we've had nothing but problems with YouTube. YouTube actually just deleted our very first episode of JPD Weekly where we talked about the mark of the beast and a certain disease that's going on right now and are the two related uh, and a vaccine. YouTube just decided to delete that because, of course, they did. Uh, but you can find that episode at dailyrenegade.com and all of our episodes. That's why we built Daily Renegade, because we can't trust YouTube uh, to to play fair. So head on over to dailyrenegade.com. we got a lot more to talk about. I will uh, 